Well, thank you, Brother Terry. Man, fantastic. Hope you make that choice today. Put your faith, trust in him if you haven't already. My goodness. Well, thank you, choir, and thank you, praise team. Thank all of you for sharing in worship this morning. Thank you so much for taking part, and we pray the Lord was honored by, by it all. If you brought your Bibles, please turn back to Mark chapter 6. We're going to look at Mark chapter 6, passage um, that we've used the past couple of weeks, and I'm going to do a part three, and this will be the final part of a sermon that I've entitled, Sorry, Not Sorry, and we're going to talk about God's warning sign. Sorry, not sorry, and then God's warning sign. And we'll look at Mark 6, and then we'll look at 1 Timothy 1 in just a few minutes. And so again, I hope you brought your Bibles. And um, I want to do just kind of a little review for those who were not here the last couple of weeks or maybe missed a week. And so uh, let me share some thoughts with you. Paul, in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 8 through 11, Paul uh, writes to the church at Corinth, and uh, he condemned the sin of one of the church members. The church had failed to address the problem, and so the sad commentary is that that happens a lot in churches today. We as church and individuals, we fail to address uh, the sins that, that we see demonstrated in the lives of a brother or a sister and we do that simply because, first of all, we, we want to avoid criticism, but if we're not careful when we do criticize them or bring them to a point where uh, they're faced with uh, their sin, uh, we criticize without compassion. And so we have to be very careful. However, the Bible teaches that we're to sternly confront sin uh, with, a, with a loving attitude and with with an attitude and prayer toward reconciliation uh, for them, for God, or toward God, and for, for each other. So we should uh, feel the same as Paul felt in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 8 through 11. I'll just paraphrase. Paul said, I'm sorry that my criticism or my confrontation of your sin caused you grief, but because this grief led you to repentance, then I'm not sorry for the criticism. I'm not sorry for the confrontation. And so if it brings you to repentance, we take joy in that. We're offering constructive criticism. If somebody confronts you because they feel that your, that your Christian life, uh, your testimony as a Christian is being damaged, don't get upset. They're doing that in love, and they're trying to help you to keep from losing your testimony. And Paul was doing the same thing. And he says, listen, I'm sorry that you got upset, but if this confrontation or this uh, constructive criticism brought about repentance, well, then I'm not sorry that I confronted you. And so it brings a question, so what do we do when a, bad, when a brother or sister gets on a bad path? Mark chapter 6, you have a person by the name of King Herod who had gotten on the wrong path, and no one seemed to care. And so if you would, let's look at that just for a moment in Mark chapter 6. Uh, let's go, um, let's pick up at verse, uh, let's pick up at verse 14. And King Herod heard of him, heard of Jesus, and his name was spread abroad. And he said that John the Baptist was risen from the dead, and therefore mighty works do show forth themselves in him. Others said that it was Elias, and others said that it was a prophet or one of the other prophets that was doing all these miracles. 
Herod thought it was John the Baptist. But when Herod heard thereof, he said, it is, uh, uh, it is John whom I beheaded, for he's risen from the dead. For Herod himself had sent forth and laid hold upon John, bound him in prison for Herodias' sake, his brother's Philip's wife, for he was married to her. If you remember, he married his brother's wife, Herodias. He divorced his wife. She divorced her husband. They married, and that was his brother's wife, Herodias was. Verse 18, For John said to Herod, It's not lawful for thee to have thy brother's wife. So he confronted him. Just like uh, Paul had confronted the church at Corinth, the person in the church. John confronts Herod. Verse 19, Therefore Herodias had a quarrel against him, against John, and she would have killed him, but she couldn't. So when she heard the news that John forbade her and Herod to be married, that wasn't right, it upset her. Verse 20, For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just man, and holy, and observed him, and he heard him, and he did many things, and he heard him gladly. He liked this guy by the name of John. He'd go listen to him preach. He was intrigued by him. He was perplexed by him. He was afraid of him. He feared him. He knew that he was a godly man. He knew that he was a holy man. But his wife wanted to kill his preacher. Verse 21, And when a convenient day was come that Herod on his birthday made a supper to his lords and his captains and his chief estates at Galilee, and when the, daughter of the, uh, when the daughter of the said Herodias came in and danced and pleased Herod and them that sat with him, the king said unto the damsel, Ask of me whatsoever thou wilt, and I'll give it to thee. And he was aware, and he swore unto her, Whatsoever thou shalt ask of me, I will give it to thee, up, up to or unto the half of my kingdom. She went forth, and she said to her mother, What shall I ask? And remember, O Herodias, she said, Ask, she said, the head of John the Baptist. Verse 25, And she came straightway with haste. She ran in a hurry unto the king, and she asked, saying, I will that thou give me by, uh, by and by in a charger the head of John the Baptist. The king was exceedingly sorry. Remember how well he liked John? Yet for his oath's sake, for their sakes which sat with him, he would not reject her. And immediately the king said an executioner and commanded his head to be brought and went and beheaded him in prison. They brought his head on a charger and gave it to the damsel, and the damsel gave it to her mother. When the disciples heard it, they came and they took up the corpse and they laid it in a tomb. So the question is, what do we do if we see a brother and sister that has got on the wrong path and perhaps damaging their Christian testimony? If we're going to be a brother and sister to one another, it's what the Bible tells us to do. If we're going to be members of one another, then we must see the warning signs that will cause a fellow believer, a brother or sister in Christ, to stray and to, to live a, a life of disobedience. And so to avoid getting on the wrong path... Or to help someone who's gotten on the wrong path, first of all, if you remember this, you must deal with the things that are not okay in your life. You must not neglect, you must not neglect uh, certain issues in your life. Uh, John told uh, Herod, it's, it's not okay for you to have your brother's wife. The point is, when you have a friend who's made some bad choice, gotten off path, Tell them, you know, this is not going to work out like you think it's going to work out. 
uh, you, you, can't, you can't allow issues to go unresolved. Why is that? Because Galatians 6, 7, and 8 says there's this law of harvest. The Bible says, Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he reap. And the ironic thing is, harvest day is not the same day as sin. Harvest day comes later. And so harvest is in the future. So the point is, there are consequences for unresolved issues in your life. You're going to reap what you sow. And the point is, harvest comes at a different season. Perhaps everything's going good right now, and you may think you've gotten by, and everything's hunky-dory, and everything's going to be okay. But believe me, harvest time is coming. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he reap. And so the point, therefore, because we're members of one another, we should love one another to the point that we risk ourselves to try to get you or each other to a better place spiritually when we see someone that's taken a different path. So to get you to that place where you deal, have to get you to that place to where you deal with those unresolved issues in your life. Number two, jot this down. If you remember, to get on the right path, you have to, you're not to minimize Scripture. You're not to minimize spiritual truth. Mark chapter 6, verse 20, it said, Herod feared John, he observed John, he protected John. He found him to be really intruding, um, interesting. He, he just felt perplexed by him. Uh, he, uh, but at the same time, he refused to heed his warning. He really liked his preaching, but he wouldn't listen to what he was saying. To heart enough to change. Sometimes we convince ourselves, I mentioned, that, that we think listening is enough. And so you may have some unresolved issues in your life, and you're hearing a sermon, you're hearing a preacher, or talk, speaking to a friend, and you think listening is enough. But the point is, what are you going to do about what's in your life? So you have to be careful not to minimize spiritual truth that you're hearing, that's been shared with you. So to get back on the, the right path... To help someone else, don't minimize spiritual truth. Have them to deal with unresolved issues. I jotted this down. Don't excuse safe sin. Verse 21, 23, you have through 23, you have this birthday party given for the king. You remember? And he had Herodotus' daughter to come in, perform this exotic dance. Uh, history tells us her name was uh, Salome, or Salome. And she came in, and, and by watching her and by, by continuing to, to, to put himself in that situation, he promised her the kingdom, up to half the kingdom. You know, he had no business whatsoever looking at his, his wife's daughter, his brother's wife, uh, his niece, but yet he did. And he made a promise to her there in verse 23. So the point is, if you remember, the longer you fixate on temptation, the more likely that you're going to give in to temptation. Some people say, well, it's no big deal. I can handle it. It's not going to hurt anyone. I can shut it off anytime I want to shut it off. It is a big deal. So instead of pulling back, instead of pulling back, instead of applying the brakes, most of the time, right before we get to the cliff, instead of slowing down, pulling back, you know, putting in reverse, we just mash on the gas and we plunge off the cliff. That's what Herod did. And uh, so we have to be careful not to excuse safe sin because 
you know, eventually that would lead to that would lead to our demise. So if we're going to be brothers and sisters one to another, members of one another, we have to see the warning signs because we're to be there for one another. So watch for the signs, avoiding issue resolution. It's, it's not okay. Get it out of your life. So don't, uh, don't, don't sanction someone else's sin in their life. Say, listen, it's not okay. You've got to deal with this. You've got to resolve this. Don't minimize spiritual truth. You know, don't excuse what you think is safe sin. And then I listed number four today in a sermon. We, we don't ignore internal alarms. Don't ignore, and specifically, an internal alarm known as your conscience. Now, God's placed within every one of us a conscience. All of us, children, uh, children who reach a point where they are accountable for their sin. They know right from wrong. Why do they know right from wrong? Because of their conscience. God's put this conscience in, in internal. He's internalized our conscience to the point that we know right from wrong. There's a certain age that we know what's right and wrong. There's this warning system. I was driving down the road recently in Russellville and and I heard a warning, perhaps you've always heard, some of you have heard this warning. Have you, you, you hear that? Okay. All of us have heard that warning. It was an ambulance coming up. I could see it in the distance coming up behind me. And I knew something was wrong. God's put an internal warning system in each person known as our conscience. He's built this warning system inside of us, inside of men, inside of women, boys and girls. It's called our conscience. And there's four biblical facts I want to share with you real quick about this thing called conscience. First of all, the word conscience is found 30 times in the New Testament. 30 times in the New Testament. Two Greek words that mean to know yourself. The conscience. So first of all, all people have a conscience. We all have a conscience. Every person has this internal sense of right and wrong. And so if you follow your conscience to do right, it's going to commend you. That's a good job. You did good. You did well. That's the right thing. I mean, uh, you sense a sense of uh, pride about yourself. And so if you follow your conscience to do right, it commends you, it gives you joy, it gives you peace, it gives you confidence. But if you violate your, com your conscience, you've heard that expression used before, don't violate your conscience. If you violate your conscience, it gives you a sense of condemnation. So if you do right, you have a sense of peace. If you do wrong, you have a sense of condemnation. You have a sense of shame and anger and regret and anxiety when you violate your conscience. So first of all, all people have a conscience. Secondly, your conscience is conditioned by what you know. That's how you condition your conscience. Your conscience is, is, your conscience is not your teacher. Your conscience is conditioned by what, you're no, by what you know. It's not a source of revelation to you, but it's, a, it's, it's not a source of revelation to you about right and wrong, but because it, it only it holds you accountable for what you know. 
Now, how do you know what you know? Well, you're taught that. Now, the person who says, I don't see anything wrong with that, um, that person really is not telling you about their expertise in right and wrong. They're really just telling you about their ignorance in what's right and wrong. Someone may think alcohol is great, and I don't know, I don't see anything wrong with that. They're not telling you about their expertise in alcohol. They're sharing with you the ignorance about alcohol. Same way with about pornography. I don't think there's anything, some would say, I don't think there's anything wrong with pornography. They're not telling your expertise. They're showing their ignorance. And so we don't learn what's right and wrong from watching TV we don't, or Fox News or any other channel. That's not where you learn what's right and wrong. You really don't learn what, what's right and wrong to begin with from your parents. You don't learn it from your friends. We learn what's right and wrong from the Word of God. If your parents tell you, if they instruct you to do something, and when I was a child, I would say something like this, why do I have to do that? They said, because it's the right thing to do. Well, why is it the right thing to do? Some parent would say this, because I said so. But you know why, what my parents would tell me? Because that's what God says you should do. You learn what's right and wrong, not from your friends, not from the TV, and not from a psychiatrist, sociologist, but from the Word of God. That's what's true, see? And God gives His law. What's the law? The law is to protect us. What's it to protect us from? From doing wrong, because it shares with us what we need to be doing what's right. And so some people, perhaps here today, have this, um, have this conscience, and it's conditioned. And it's conditioned because you've been... It's conditioned for the right, because you've been shared... The Word of God, from preschool, from the nursery, from home, and from church, and from all areas, from all your Christian life, you've been shared God's Word. You know what's right. And when you act differently, your conscience condemns you for that. When you act right, your conscience command, commends you for that. And some people today have such a tender conscience because they... They have heard the Word of God so much in their life. And that's a good thing. Some have, have, some have a dull conscience. And they can do all kinds of things. And they don't feel any shame about it. I mean, they continue to do all these bad things. Now, why is that? And they don't feel any shame. Because their conscience has not been exposed to the Word of God. So first of all, all people have conscience. Your conscience is conditioned by what you know and what you know should be the Word of God if you want the truth. But third, your conscience is conditioned by what you do right. The more you do right, the more tender your conscience becomes. The greatest saints in the church have had the most tender conscience. Um, have you ever had anyone to come up to you as a believer, and say, listen, I have, I've had this happen. Brother Sammy, I want to apologize to you. 
I mean, I just, I shouldn't have acted what, in the way that I did. I shouldn't have spoke the way that I did or said what I did. I don't even remember. I don't even know what they're talking about. Now, why are they saying that? Because they have this tender conscience about them. And why do they have that? Because they've been in the Word of God. And God spoke to their conscience. And so when you do right, your conscience gets more tender. However, when you do wrong, there's three steps down in destroying your conscience. I'm going to give you these chapters, book and chapter, just jot them down. We don't have time to go there. But 1 Corinthians chapter 8 speaks about a wounded conscience. We're going to go over each one of these real quick. Matthew 13 talks about a callous conscience. Matthew, uh, 1 Timothy 4, I believe it's 18 through 20, speaks about a seared conscience. And so first, 1 Corinthians 8, you, you have this wounded conscience. Matthew 13, you have a callous conscience. And 1 Timothy 4, you have this seared conscience. Now, in, in 1 Corinthians 8, you have this wounded conscience. And, and a wounded conscience is when I do something or say something I feel terrible about, terrible about it. I'll say to myself, man, I shouldn't, I shouldn't have let that happen. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have uh, looked at that. I shouldn't have gone there. I was at the wrong place. It sh I shouldn't have done that. That's a wounded conscience. Now, remember, at that moment, when your conscience is wounded, if you'll confess your sin and repent of your sin and change... Ask God to forgive you of your sins, then your conscience will go back and it'll be tender and precious and it'll be helpful once again. But, but if you go against that and say, I don't care or I could care less, it doesn't matter. If you react that way, your conscience step, takes another step down from a wounded conscience down to, and it becomes a calloused conscience, calloused. So you've gone from wounded, and you wouldn't repent. And again, you go from wounded, you won't repent, and again and again, and all of a sudden your conscience becomes callous. Let me give you an example. Let's say the men in our church, if everyone took, all the men took a shovel, and they went out here, and they began to, they began to dig a ditch, and, and some would have uh, calluses on their hands. And, and some, because of the honorable way that that they, that they earn their living or because of the work they do on the weekend, you, you have calluses on your hands. And, and that's caused by repeated strain on your hands. The same area, time and time and time again, becomes callous, kind of like uh, um, runners have calluses on their feet or um, guitarists have calluses on their fingers, tips of their fingers. Riders have calluses on their finger. I have a callus on my finger. I write so much, and I've got this big callus on there because it's just repeated strain in the same area. Diggers, they have calluses in their hands. And sinners have calluses on their heart. That's what develops. I don't feel the pain, perhaps, like I used to when I shovel. 
because of the calluses on my hand. Don't feel the pain like I used to on the fingers when you play the guitar and you feel those calluses. You don't feel the pain as much when you sin because you have a calloused heart. Somebody say, well, I don't, I don't understand why you think that's wrong. Perhaps speaking to a parent. Mom, I don't, think, I don't think that's wrong. I don't understand why you think that's wrong. Dad, I don't understand why you think that's wrong. I don't understand why you're so concerned. Brother, Brother Sammy, I don't understand why you think that's a big deal. I don't understand why you're so concerned. Well, a father or a mother or the pastor or a good friend could simply say something like this, because my heart's not calloused. That's why I'm concerned. I can feel the pain that you're doing to yourself, that you're doing to your own soul, that you can't feel because your heart is so calloused. My heart's not that calloused. I can sense that pain. And so we go a step further. Something below the callous might be causing a problem. 1 Timothy chapter 4, look at that. 1 Timothy 4, we're going to look at verse 18, I'm finished. 18, 19, and 20. This charge I commit to thee, Timothy. 1 Timothy 18, 1, 18. For, uh, this charge I commit to thee, son, Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou be, that thou by them mightst war good warfare. Holding faith and a good conscience, which some, having put away concerning faith, have made a shipwreck, of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I've delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. First Timothy, you have a wounded conscience, you have a callous conscience, and First Timothy 18, 1, 18 and 20 speaks of this seared conscience. These lights up here get kindly bright and they get real hot. Let's say, for instance, if I reached up there with a bare hand and took one of those spotlights with a bare hand, it, it'd sting and hurt, and it would kind of end the feeling, perhaps to some degree, in the tips of my finger. It'd burn. I mean, it'd really be bad if I just touched them. And if I, if I did it time and time again, I'd sear the nerves. If I grabbed it with my, whole, my entire hand, I'd, send, I'd sear the nerves in the whole hand. But then I'd get to a point where I couldn't feel that. And I could unscrew a hot bulb, perhaps, because I've seared the nerves in my hand. And then I'd, I'd be kind of the go-to guy to change out the bulbs. Because why? I wouldn't feel no pain. I wouldn't feel any, any pain. If I did it again and again and again, I'd feel no pain. And there's so many people today, there's so many people today, and I believe a lot of politicians are this way. They just lie and lie and lie and lie. They feel no pain. Gossip and gossip and gossip and gossip, and they feel no pain. Sin against a brother and sister time and time again. They feel no pain. I can't believe she said that. I can't believe he said that. I can't believe they did that. They feel no pain. 
They've been liars and gossipers for so long, or they, they can live a lifestyle of sin so long, and they're not even pricked in their conscience about it. They feel no pain. That's why a person can look at pornography and it not bother them. They feel no pain, not pricked in their conscience. Ignoring, ignoring the voice, ignoring the warning, ignoring this warning, alarm in your conscience that's saying that is so dangerous, ignoring all that. It's kind of like ripping a label off of a bottle of poison and putting it in your refrigerator and leaving it in there for someone to reach and, and get. 1 Timothy 1.19, those who reject the voice of the conscience suffer shipwreck in regards to their faith. Back in Mark chapter 6, everything in Herod's life is about to implode. He's made a decision to ignore the alarms. He's made a decision to avoid dealing with the things that were in his life. He's made a decision to minimize spiritual truth, to excuse sin, and then to ignore the alarm of conscience. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, it just all falls apart as John the Baptist's head is brought to him on a platter. My goodness. Let me ask you something this morning. Have you, have you listened to the warning sign of your conscience? You know, it's, it's the presence. If you're not careful, you've got to remember the temptation that's around you. You've got to listen to the voice of conscience. And you have, to, you have to, from time to time, wonder, how did I get to this place? How did I get so far? How did I go so far? It was real simple in how we looked at Herod's life. How did I get here? Wouldn't resolve the issues. Minimize spiritual truth. Excuse sin. Ignored conscience. Just a total rebellion. And it developed in a, a devastated life. I prayed this morning that as brothers and sisters in Christ, when we see one stepped out of the way as a brother and sister, and we being brothers and sisters one of another, that we would have enough love that we'd go to them and share with them. Brother, it's not going to end like you think it's going to end. You need to resolve some of this right now or all of this right now. I pray that that's what the Lord will give us, the strength and the courage and the love to do. Let's bow our heads just for a moment. Father, we've dealt with 29 verses in Mark, perhaps 14 through 29, about King Herod. And Lord, he had so much potential listening to John, but yet he had no one warned him when he got on another path. And so, Father, we see so many like that today, our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we just need to, today, make a commitment in our own life that when we see someone that stepped across on the other path, Lord, that we would go to them and encourage them to heed the warning sign. Lord, to heed their conscience. Lord, before, while it's wounded and while there's an opportunity there, before they get to the point to where it's just seared and, and they feel no pain. So help us, we pray, Lord, to minister to those who have walked away for whatever reason, to give them encouragement, Lord, to come back. I thank you, Lord, for each person that's here this morning, and I pray that we would commit ourselves to the task of, 
of um, reaching out to those, Lord, who uh, sometimes we have not even said anything to, Lord, when they've walked away. I know many have here today. They've approached others and shared their heart and cried and wept with them. And Lord, I, I pray, Lord, that their prayers will be answered for that person and we'll see a change come about in that person's life and time. But Father, help us do what you've called us to do, to be a brother and sister in love to these who have stepped away, walked away for whatever reason, purpose. Father, I pray for the person here today who's never trusted Jesus Christ to be Lord and Savior of their life. I pray you speak to their heart today. And God, I pray that uh, as Christians, as we prepare for revival effort, we begin to evaluate our life. And Lord, that we'd recommit ourselves even today to, be, uh, to give ourselves more to you. Thank you for what you're going to do in this time of invitation. And we make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Don't ask too much.